This is the Enthusiasts Guild, a place for conversations about wonderful and interesting things with the people who enjoy them. I'm Fletcher C. Finch. I'm Adam Zaremski. And today we're going to be talking about the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's been many things over the years. Uh, started as a radio drama. The book probably is the more popular, well-known among people, but it's been a movie too. I see it's been comics as well. You know, we'll be talking about the book and the various books that go into it. You know, it starts as a guy in England who's about to have his house destroyed and then finds out the world's going to be destroyed and goes off on these space adventures with an alien who's been living on Earth for about 15 years. And now he's trying to hitchhike his way out. The alien writes for the a company called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The book is written by Douglas Adams. And it's actually, it started off as, you know, again, radio drama, but looking, I'm kind of focusing on the book here. That's what I'm most familiar with. Okay. There's five in the series right now. Five in the trilogy? Yes, right. <laughs> I do enjoy that. So this is a, a comical satire book at times of people traveling around space. It's meant to be lighthearted. It does have some darker moments out of some of the later books, but it is, uh, there's five volumes, but he went off and had a trilogy of them and then wrote a fourth and then a fifth. And I, I think there's some taglines where it's, uh, you know, the fifth book in the ever expanding trilogy or like the fifth book in the inaccurately named trilogy series. Right. Yeah. It just goes into the style of the book that you're about to read. I think it's the increasingly inaccurately named trilogy. Yeah. I know we've talked about the the sci-fi book, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but how would you describe the guide itself? Uh, it's a wild guide where it's supposed to educate people about the galaxy. <laughs> and um, it's, But it, it's doing so, and I think they market it as um, it's the cheap way to do it. Sometimes it's accurate. Um, it's kind of written by whoever they can get to walk in off the street and fill up space and do some work. Yeah, and there's like a couple different guides out there in a similar way you might find a couple of varieties of books to how to travel around Europe, mm -hmm. best ways. And certain ones are geared towards a certain group of people, maybe. Um, but the Hitchhiker's Guide is, I think, so you can get around the area cheaply without having to spend too much money and see a lot of things. But hopefully the information is accurate. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good breakdown of the guide. And I, I love... One of my favorite parts is is when they go into the the definitions or they're quoting from the guide. Have you read the book? I've read the trilogy, uh, all, I believe all five parts, <laughs> but it was some time ago. I really enjoyed the books. I encountered them, I want to say, probably in high school. And I really loved the tone of the books and how you can tell that this is dumb comedy for smart people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that. I like the way you put that. It makes me feel better when I read the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got interesting references. He plays some some tricks with language and structure and style. He kind of subverts your expectations in a few places. The more background knowledge you have on different subjects, the funnier things are. Yeah, I do wonder. I, I think it's the third volume. There's a whole thing about um, a race of people who live on the planet Cricket. Yeah. where. I think there's a lot of play on stuff as far as like the English game or of cricket. Mm -hmm. I'm re so I'm rereading the books. I've read all five probably. Wow. It's like 15 years ago now. Um, <laughs> so I'd read all five at once 
and I'm rereading it again. I'm into the third volume and I'm at that point with the whole uh, cricket world and the adventures in that. I'm curious with you, because you were talking about the humor and understanding certain parts of it. Do you find you get a lot because you are someone who does enjoy a lot of the British humor, British comedy? I think you kind of know a bit more in that way. You know, when we talked about Doctor Who, very big British themed show. I enjoy more of the the British references and the the British comedy now than I did when I originally read it. Mm Mm-hmm. I think there's more overlap in the zaniness and the jumping from one point to another to something like Monty Python. <laughs> and there's definitely some overlap in terms of the the worldview and some of the approach to sci-fi with Doctor Who and Douglas Adams, who, who wrote the Hitchhiker's Guide series, also wrote for Doctor Who. That's right. I think one of his... One of the volumes in this, I think, was actually aimed to be a Doctor Who, and he retailed it to be a Hitchhiker's Guide volume. Or maybe it was a later one. I know there was something where he was playing to do a Doctor Who, and it, the script just wasn't working out, so he kind of took the elements of that and turned it into a Hitchhiker's Guide volume. Now, there's a story behind how you first read this book. Can you tell me a little about that? I'd had some people recommend it to me over the years, and it was you know one of those books that was there, meant to read. And I ended up buying the, and I'm looking at the cover of it right now. It's, it says five novels in one outrageous volume. So I got the entire series in one volume. And um, it would have been 2006, just graduated college. And a good friend and I were going to go travel around the country for about, it was going to be two months. It ended up being, so it was going to be about eight weeks. It turned into 10 weeks because we had uh, car troubles. But I brought the whole volume with me. You know, every time I wasn't driving or if we were just sitting around relaxing for a little bit, I'd pick up the the volume and be going through it. It was a nice way to, when you're on the road for hours at a time between stops, it was a nice way to pass the time. Did you feel more kinship to the characters and their experience since you were bouncing around the country while they were bouncing around the universe? I think I did. Kind of going back just a little on our trip, when we started, I began reading and finished Around the World in 80 Days by Jules Verne, which is also an adventure story. And, you know, they're literally traveling around the world. We were just going around the country, but it was, I managed to get through that one pretty quickly. And yeah, so when I started reading The Hitchhiker's Guide and they're bouncing around, going to different spots, that definitely was cool to relate to. I think it also helps sometimes with the humor in the book. Because if you go back to 2006, we weren't, you know, we each had a cell phone. I think mine kind of died halfway through because it was a cheap track phone. But um, you're in a car for a long time with a person. We're still close friends now, but there would be times where you just kind of you'd wake up next to him in the car and you're thinking, oh, it's still the same guy. So the Hitchhiker's Guide kind of brought some levity and relaxed me a little bit more where maybe if I'd get on edge, which I know I could do, I would just be like, OK, I'm reading the book. I'm good. Certain things would just not bother me as much. So it was kind of a nice, peaceful thing to do. Now, on that road trip, were you Ford Prefect or were you Arthur Dent? <laughs> I'd like to be, like to think I was Ford. I probably had times where I was Marvin, the robot, <laughs> where it just a little grumpy at stuff, mm-hmm. but probably a mix of the Ford and Arthur. And uh, let's let's run down through the, the main characters a, a little bit for audience members who might not be familiar with the series. Arthur's kind of our our main protagonist for the story. He's a human from Earth, and he gets caught up in all these adventures. 
how would you describe Ford? Uh, he's the alien who had uh, befriended Arthur early on. He's also a writer. Ford is also a writer for The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So he made his way to Earth and got stuck there for about 15 years. And he was trying to hitchhike off, but couldn't. So he was really adapting to the human lifestyle. He's a, a traveler. He's from one of the Betelgeist planets, I believe. Yeah, him and Arthur are kind of always in it together uh, through the book, through the series. Mm. He's kind of uh, more relaxed, but also he wants to go travel. He wants to go party, have fun, where Arthur's always kind of just, I think, as you said, as the protagonist, he's the earthling who's seeing all these planets for the first time. He's also a warrior concerned about certain things where Ford's just like, you know, relax, just have a couple more drinks where that gets Ford into some trouble, but it's a, it makes sense. Yeah. I, I think in a lot of ways, Arthur acts as the audience surrogate too. Right. Exactly. So those are the main two throughout the first couple volumes, Arthur throughout the whole series. Then there's, I never, is it Zaphod? Zaphod? Zaphod is, is how they pronounce it in the British series, but even from what I've seen from that, there's uh, sometimes they change up how they're pronouncing it. Gotcha. So yeah, Zaphod, you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's an alien. He's also the president of the galaxy, I think. Yes, he's the president of the galaxy. He's also Ford prefix cousin, kind of one of those. Semi-cousin. Yeah, few removed. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got two heads and three arms. He had, I think he had, I forget if the head was added on, but I know the arm was. And then there's Trillian, who is also from Earth, but has been traveling around with Zaphod. Right. And actually, Arthur and Trillian briefly met at a party where I think Arthur was the guy who was kind of boring her for a moment. And then Zaphod had been on Earth for whatever reason, saw her and took her off in the spaceship. And then they meet soon on. And this is all in the first volume that these characters are being introduced. <clears throat> yeah, it all happens fairly early on. And then Marvin, the paranoid android. Who is a wonderful character. He's actually got a lot of growth throughout the book in some way. <laughs> He's the the robot who's super intelligent, but also kind of super, I don't know if depressed is the word. Oh, I think depressed is the word. Yeah, they gave him a personality yeah. and the personality is very depressed. He's so intelligent that he's also like, what's the point? And so when someone asks him, oh, can you go do this? He's saying, I can do anything, basically. Here I am with the brain the size of a planet. Right. And you're asking me to go fetch someone downstairs. Sure, I'll go do that. And I, I do enjoy in some of the earlier parts where he's talking to other robots, like the AI of a spaceship or something. <laughs> and they end up, the AI might just commit to it. Like it just self-destructs because it doesn't want to talk to him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to have a picture of Marvin in your mind, I think the best way they did it was with the movie. Okay. Where Alan Rickman was the voice of that, of Marvin. He does such a phenomenal job with that voice. Yes. Like, I don't recall the. I, I would like to go back and watch the movie because I don't have a lot of fond memories of it. I'd seen it years ago, but I'd be curious what I think now. But yeah, the way the casting Alan Rickman for that role was perfect. Now, do you have a favorite character of, of those? I do enjoy Marvin, and I like the way Douglas Adams, the author, sparingly used him. So it wasn't too overdone. He comes in here and there. He's just this slow, trudgingly depressed robot. But he adds a good levity to it. 
the way some of the characters they'll start talking and they feel bad for a second and they start talking to Marvin and and then they're just like, Oh, why did I bother? What was the point of talking to him? Yeah, I guess he's just kind of the constant character doing his thing where the others are wild and zany. And it is funny because he's always assuming the worst in situations. But if you go through the books, often the worst thing is what happens. Like, oh, the earth gets destroyed. Oh, things don't actually matter. Things don't go according to plan. Marvin's often not wrong. Yeah, I mean, the I think it's at the second volume, the restaurant at the end of the universe. He's like, you really shouldn't be taking this ship or something. And they take it and it ends up a ship that's going to be sent into a, a sun for a giant <laughs> a planetary-wide concert. Yeah, you're right about that. I know it sounds like we're giving away a lot of spoilers, but the plot of the stories is never the important part. No, no, it's just uh, it's just kind of hanging with the characters and seeing how they're interacting and how they're reacting to certain situations. I think two big characters that have you only see them in the first volume, but they have a strong they'll be memorable. Uh, and I won't say anything more than the whale and uh, the a plant. I don't know if it's petunias or just a f- the bowl of petunias. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a fantastic. I mean, just for Douglas Adams to come up with that. And it relates with uh, the first volume deals with the characters all cruising around in a spaceship called the Heart of Gold, powered by an improbability drive where it can do certain things based on how improbable it is, or they flip a switch and. Like, it doesn't make sense, but it does. I don't know if you could describe it better. I just think as a literary device, the infinite improbability drive is such a great addition because it lets you do anything that you want with the plot and the story. It is a deus ex machina. It's just the machine that makes anything happen. And kind of the more improbable it is, the more likely it is to happen in the story. And so like, oh, you get whisked away and, you know, the chances against it are astronomical, but this is the thing that happened. Yeah, I I think Douglas Adams has a lot of fun in in the writing, talking about what's going on while the infinite improbability drive is running as they're getting closer to reality. Yeah, the different, how it changes and the scenery around them and what appears and disappears. It's... Yeah, uh, I think Neil Gaiman wrote the intro to the book and he just talked about what a like he, I, I think he's said something along the lines of like, I, you can't use the word genius. You know, it's used too often. But with Douglas Adams, it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. How he comes up with the ideas is fantastic. I don't know, but it's just fantastic. Some of the things he writes about and says. Yeah, he had to have a hell of a mind, Douglas Adams. Well, and the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the, the guide itself is basically an ebook at a time that ebooks didn't exist. You know, it says, don't panic on the cover, but it's, it's a screen and it's interactive a bit. I think it works really well in the story. And it's something where now that I use computer tablets and I've had ebook readers, it's so much easier to understand what the guide is than it was when I was a teenager reading it in a paper book. <laughs> I can see that. Our shout out this week is for Aurora Brewworks, which is a bottle shop and bar in East Aurora, New York. Both of us like Aurora Brewworks. <laughs> <laughs> this is very true. Aurora Brewworks is probably the place that I actually learned to like beer. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's I started hanging out there because I enjoyed the company and the environment. And I 
stayed because I got an education in beer. <laughs> That's a great tagline. They should adopt that. Do you know we actually had part of our wedding there? Really? Yeah. So when after the ceremony, we went and did photos uh, around. So we got married in East Aurora, went to Knox Farm, got our pictures. And then the plan was we had a we had a school bus with all of the wedding party and then their their spouses. And we all went to Aurora Brew Works. This is going back 2014. And we bought them all around a beer. Um, so we got a bunch of cool photos in there. Very nice. So, yeah, I, I would highly recommend them anytime. It's uh, you know, always great beer something if you like beer you'll find something you enjoy there all right back to the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy do you know how we came up with the idea for this book i've heard a story dude i don't know the details do you know the details i've just heard like a couple of this uh, probably the same story where he was i think hitchhiking around europe and was drunk somewhere and supposedly this is what he's told people that he was uh kind of passed out in a field and just looking up at the sky and thought someone should write a hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy. And I did come across something where he actually said he forgot about that, but he had told so many people <laughs> that they reminded him and he's like, Oh, that's actually a pretty good idea. I like that. Yeah. That sounds very much like him too. Now you've said you uh, have listened to the the radio shows for this. So hitchhiker's guide, the original thing that came out was a radio program in 1978. I haven't listened to that, but I have listened to the 1979 album version of it, okay. which I guess they changed things up a little bit. But I really enjoy that. And there are elements to the writing, just to the, the word choice and the phrasing that Douglas Adams uses, that I enjoyed so much more hearing it than I even did reading it. And they really keep, they drive through the plot pretty quickly in the audio version there's really a uh, frenetic energy to it. So you're going through all these nonsensical pieces and it registers as funny, but it gives you something to think about a little bit too, because they've moved on to the next thing already. The music, I, I really like, they do a good job of making things seem spacey and epic. There are all sorts of great little sci-fi silly sound effects. And I do enjoy the, the audio performances as well. I think Marvin, the paranoid Android, in the audio version, it's Stephen Moore is the actor who does him, and he's so good at just sounding so depressed and uh, uninterested. I would recommend listening to it. It's a pretty quick listen. I mean, so often you see nowadays it's, it starts as a book and it becomes a movie and all these other things. Mm -hmm. But this started as a radio drama. He actually did several of them, like the almost first two volumes of the book, I think, as a radio drama. And then he turns them into a book. Mm -hmm. The 1981 BBC TV series is currently on Hulu, and you can watch that. It's a lot of the same cast as the audio recording and as the original radio. There's some overlap, I should say, with the original radio production cast as well. The special effects are definitely early 80s, not super high budget special effects. But I do want to give a uh, an honorable mention to the entries from the Hitchhiker's Guide, the, the portions from the book, the audio descriptions of them are great. And there are some fun animated computery drawings that they have for the different things. They're showing layers, they're showing and kind of forming the, the shapes and everything. And I wouldn't recommend it to everyone, but if you're a completist, it's nice that it's available on Hulu right now. I had no clue they had that show. Oh, yeah. That's wild. 
I mean, just to think back then, it definitely had the popularity in that region. I mean, you don't just say, oh, it's, you know, if it worked well as a radio drama and then you're like, well, let's make a TV show out of it and let's make a book. It, it clearly, clearly was reaching a lot of people. I think it's pretty neat for something at that point or, or at any time that it was available in so many platforms so quickly. I, I love the title of the restaurant at the end of the universe, which is just a really cool concept. So it's the restaurant that is at the end of time when the universe is going to end, mm-hmm. which I think when I first heard the title, I thought, oh, it's on the outer rim of the universe. You know, you got to go travel to it. But I really like the idea that he went with with it being at the end of time. Right. Yeah. And the restaurant's held in some weird time void vortex where it can constantly be pulled back. So it goes right up to the edge, watches the universe end, and then pulls it back. And people can go and drink, eat, have a band play for you while you're watching the universe completely go kaputs. They have some great jokes about the end of the universe, too. Yeah, certain religious figures that would be coming back at the end of the universe. And uh, one does appear and the showman's like, oh, I've done this a bunch of times. This has never happened before. And I, I love that you can always get a seat because you can go back afterwards and make your reservation ahead of time. Right. It's like plays in the whole time travel thing where it doesn't really make sense, but it does make sense. Like the restaurant is a very costly thing, drinks and everything. The meals are very costly. But if you just go back to your normal time and put a penny in some account, by the time you get there, you'll have enough money to pay for it, <laughs> which is also just funny too. Just <laughs> a, a, a cool concept. Yeah, each of the volumes just has a different feel to it. And I, I recall when I was reading the whole volume, so I think it was Arizona somewhere, when going back to that 2006 road trip. And I'm getting close to the end, so one of the things we would do to save money on this trip, we would park in Walmart parking lots, and you could just stay there for free and sleep. And so we're in a 2002 Ford Escort, just kind of camping out in there and we're part and I I knew I was close we probably stopped at like 10 p.m. or something and I just kept reading until about 1 30 in the morning and, and I, I don't want to spoil the book at all or spoil everything but I remember that one had just it had a finality and it had something like here I, I've been with this book for several weeks now very good and you, you get really involved into it and it ends And I just remember like putting the book down and like getting out of the car and just kind of walking around Walmart for a while, just like in my own head, thinking about the book and thinking about other things that were coming up. And it was just maybe the finality of it was so, oh, wow. And it was a bit of a change from like the fourth one where it was, um, the fourth one is called So Long and Thanks for All the Fish. And, And that had kind of a nice... Uh, there's a little bit of a love story in there. There's some hopeful aspects. I kind of believe I'd again, have to go back and see more of it. But the fifth one, it was a bit darker. Douglas Adams, from what I've read since then, he, he kind of saw that too. And he almost felt bad that he ended it like that. So he was beginning to work on a sixth book that wouldn't be just like this, They'd be a little happy, not happier, but just uh, not so dark as he put it from what I saw. But he unfortunately passed away. Another author did pick up and write a sixth book, kind of taking some of the notes he had. 
but I don't recall it. And I don't think it was one that really stood out. It was just kind of like, eh, I'd be willing to give it another chance now. But at the time, it just didn't really fit with the others. And again, probably the way I was reading the Hitchhiker's Guide originally had a bigger impact than the other book where I was home. It was a couple of years after the I'd read the ever-expanding trilogy. So I could see that being an impact. Have you read any of Douglas Adams' Dirk Gently books? There's Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency and also The Long Dark Tea Time of the Soul. Is it uh, similar, like science fiction? They're both, I, I guess, uh, kind of a mix of sci-fi and fantasy stories. Definitely very interesting, but more to do with the mythological aspects. Adams definitely uses a lot of the same sense of humor, so I really enjoy those. Oh, cool. Yeah, I will have to. Yeah, it's just another one on the checklist of books to read. Is there anything else you'd like to say about the Hitchhiker's Guide? I recommend, you know, pick up the first one, see what you think, and maybe continue on with it. It's enjoyable. It's fun. It passes the time, but it can be a lot more. It's just, it's very well done. Um, so I was happy recently. I think it's not, it's taken a lot longer than the first time I read it. Now with having a family and uh, actual work responsibilities. So I've probably been rereading re them and I think it's taken two months now and I'm into the third book and I am enjoying how much more I've forgotten so much. I forgot what book three was all about even and I'm getting into it and I'm like, oh, and so what is happening now is almost new to me and that's kind of cool. Um, but I am looking forward to the next two parts and I do think I'll try to pick up some of the other things like the the BBC series, the... I might give the movie another shot. I know it's out there. Do you have any favorite parts or things that you're enjoying differently now when you're rereading it? How the book starts out with him where his house is about to, where Arthur Dent's house is about to be destroyed. And they, they tell him, well, he could have gone down to the building inspector's office and the plans were on review for like a year. And he said he tried to, but the door was like in a basement. It was locked. The file cabinet was upside down and all like it was just impossible. And then the earth is about to get blown up right then and there. And the aliens are like, well, you could have gone to Alpha Centauri and reviewed the documents for this interstellar spaceway. We're going to build where Earth is. What do you mean you've never been to Alpha Centauri? (laughs) And it's I think reading that now, having been in the, the newspaper field covering governments and stuff, it had a better impact where I just kept laughing throughout the whole thing. Cause it was absurd, but I could almost see it being true. <laughs> Were there any things about the Hitchhiker's Guide that really stuck out to you? One of the things that really stuck out to me was the value of having a towel. Uh, having been backpacking now and having done some camping, I really appreciate how useful having a towel can be. It can be a blanket. It can be a pillow. It, it's just always a good thing to have when you're when you're traveling and when you're on the road. Yeah, I think uh, it's, I don't know if it's for my birthday or Christmas. Oh, uh, one of the relatives got me some camping stuff. And in there was like the backpacking towel where it's like super light. It's got some weird microfibers, whatever. And I wonder, I think that kind of actually brought the Hitchhiker's Guide back to my mind to start reading it again. Where I was just like, oh, a towel. I could actually use this. And again, Ford prefix message, always have a towel. (laughs) Now, my favorite Douglas Adams quote isn't actually from one of his books. It's 
I love deadlines. I love the whooshing sound they make as they fly by. Yeah, I, I'd read a story on how the first book, he was so late with it. Like the book publisher sent a courier to like just pick up whatever he had and take it from him, basically. And uh, I think they also locked him in a hotel room at some point for another volume. <laughs> as a writer, doesn't being set up in a hotel room sound like the perfect way to make yourself work? For a little while, as long as there's nothing else, they'd have to take away the window, um, no TV, just just what you need to write with. Yeah, then it would work. Is there anything else you'd like to say? No, nah, just thanks for letting me chat about the book. It's been fun. It's kind of like better than giving a book review because I really enjoy this book. And uh, if you have a chance, uh, don't panic. Read the book. Give it a shot. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Enthusiasts Guild. You can subscribe and hear all our episodes through your podcast player of choice. Find us on Facebook at The Enthusiasts Guild, on Twitter at Enthusiast Guild, or contact us at theenthusiastsguild at gmail.com. Our music today is Jellyfish in Space by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, used under a Creative Commons license. <laughs>